Well, Amy and Evan, thank you for blessing the room with that. Friends, good morning. Welcome to our 11 o'clock worship service on this, the third Sunday after Epiphany. Welcome those of you in the room, many more we know joining us online. It's good to worship God together in this way. Somebody at 8.30 asked me uh, if you get extra credit for coming in person on such a cold day. My answer was, it depends on where you're from. You're from Minnesota, no, but anyway. It's going to be together. I look around, a number of you are visiting with us, some for the first time, some you've come back. We're so honored that you have come. That's a great thing. We hope you come back. We hope you leave us contact information. We'd love to reach out to you this week, get acquainted, see if there are ways we can support you, or if you have questions about our church, uh, please do that. That would be great. My name's James Howell, and I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Nathan Arledge. It's such a joy to be with you in this space together, this place where we come together with our hearts and um, how the Spirit moves us to worship God continually. A um, lot of opportunities for you to develop in your faith and to develop as a community um, through the church. And one of those that's coming up is eight days um, from today is Kate Bowler will be here, which is going to be an incredible opportunity. The blurb is in your bulletin. She's an incredible um, speaker, going to have a wonderful dialogue with James um, it's an opportunity for you to be here, for you to grow together. And it's also a really uh, wonderful chance for you to invite somebody to join you um, that needs to hear a profound message from her. The other thing that we want to acknowledge is parking has gotten a little more difficult. Um, and if you saw the communication through emails and through um, the website, we no longer can park across the street. Um, we know that's painful, and we acknowledge that, and we are sorry about that. And one thing that we're going to be bringing back the beginning of February is the shuttle from Myers Park Traditional Elementary. So if you um, remember the shuttle that was running, it will be back. That's a great opportunity to allow closer spaces um, for those who might need those physically. So um, parking hopefully will enhance through um, the shuttle. Um, thank you so much for your patience and your grace in that. Now let's continue to worship God.
let us continue to praise God by affirming our faith with the Apostles' Creed, which can be found in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And friends, it is our great privilege at the service to celebrate the sacrament of holy baptism. Elizabeth and Sam Hankins bring their son, John Wilson, and Emily Williams and Matt Stankus bring their son, Henry Bryce Stankus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. So friends, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to renounce evil and repent of your sin? If so, say we do. Do you confess Christ as your Savior, put your trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord? If so, say we do. And will you nurture your children in Christ's holy church, that by your teaching and example they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, profess their faith openly, and lead a Christian life? If so, say we will. And will you, members of Myers Park United Methodist Church, include these families now before you in your care? Will you proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ? Will you surround these families with a community of love and forgiveness, that they may grow in their service to others? And will you pray for them, that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life? If so, say we will. We will. Friends, let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. When you saw your people as captives in Egypt, you delivered them through the sea, their children you brought into the promised land through the Jordan. In the fullness of time, you sent your son Jesus. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. And he calls on his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection, 
Pour out your Holy Spirit now to bless this gift of water and those who receive it, to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives, that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in your final victory. All praise to eternal Father through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Henry Bryce, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They're both heavy. <laughs> John Wilson Hankins, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, therefore let your light so shine before others that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Children of God, as you grow in age, may you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We rejoice to welcome you to the family of God. Friends, as we often get the opportunity to do so, we have the privilege of welcoming new members in the life of Myers Park United Methodist Church. It is such a joy and a gift to us to welcome these new friends. As we've always said, unlike any other membership that you'll find in the city of Charlotte, when you join Myers Park United Methodist Church, you get zero extra benefits whatsoever other than the free name tags that you get. And you didn't even get one, so we'll get, make sure you get one. You got one over there? That's great. Um, instead, when you join, it is a public declaration of our inward commitment to follow Christ, to become more faithful disciples of Jesus, to commit ourselves to all the promises that they will make here in due time of what it means to be members. So I'm going to go around and invite you to say your name and where you grew up, okay? okay. Um, I'm Lynn McCaleb. I grew up um, outside Kansas City, Missouri. Jackie McCaleb. I grew up in northwest Alabama, a little town called Winfield. Kevin Miller, and I'm from Santa Rosa, California. Michelle Miller, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Okay. Carol Hapler, and I grew up in Mississippi. Where Mississippi? Oh, Forest, Mississippi, sir. Okay. So, friend, following the service, they'll be right here. Please do come by and welcome them. Let them know how glad we are that they are members of our church. 
We welcome you, friends, with the love of Christ, and we are honored and excited that you will be with us on our journey toward a meaningful faith and humble service. And so I ask you, will you strive with us to follow Jesus Christ, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve God's people and the world? If so, please say, we will. As members of the body of Christ here at Mars Park United Methodist Church, will you faithfully engage in ministry by your prayer, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? If so, please say, we will. <laughs> Family of God, I commend these new friends to your love and care. Will you do all in your power to encourage and walk with them as together we strive to increase our faith, confirm our hope, and grow in love and compassion? If so, let all God's people say, we will. We will. We will. Oh, we give thanks for all that God has given you, and we welcome you in Christian love. May God continue to establish you and to strengthen you that you may be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ as the newest members of our church family. Let us welcome them, friends. As we continue this time of worship, it's a place where we come to confess, to pray together, to raise our voices together unto God and before one another. So let us go to God in prayer. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. Set us free from a past what we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow into your likeness. Amen. Church family, hear the good news that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Gospel reading is Mark, chapter 1, beginning with the 14th verse. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the Gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the Gospel. And passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Lately, I've gotten to a place where uh, anytime I hear a Bible reading that names a place in Israel, and especially this, the Sea of Galilee, I get, uh, uh, and I got a mix of um, 
longing and pain. Uh, longing, I hope to go there again. I hope to take people there again. But with what's going on, I mean, I just uh, wonder if my favorite place on earth, uh, the grief that we all carry over what's going on in uh, Gaza. And it's the perfect example, right, of the way horrors beget horrors. Some people think it started on October the 7th. This has been going on for decades. This has been building for centuries of the strife between Israelis and Palestinians, but then it goes back to European arrogance for how the world should be arranged. It goes back to, I used to say German anti-Semitism. The whole world was anti-Semitic, one of the reasons the Jews wanted a homeland. It's such a good case of the way we live in a fallen, broken world. Jesus came to try to redeem a fallen, broken world where we're just stuck. There's so many false choices, so many impossible choices. I love that uh, after 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus strides into the Galilee. It's a beautiful place. The lake there is just lovely, surrounded by hillsides. It's green a good bit of the year, and um, the uh, shoreline is dotted with little fishing villages. To this day, the remains of stone homes that go back to Bible times. Fishing was the big industry then. Uh, they caught fish. They exported them uh, all over the world. And those people who lived in those little villages uh, came to synagogues. We have remains of the synagogues in those villages, small stone, gray basalt stone places. Those people from those villages uh, came to those synagogues. I guess they were probably seeking hope. They were seeking a blessing from God. Probably the same kind of reason. You, why did you come to church today? Uh, you come seeking some kind of blessing, some kind of hope, some kind of uh, meaning, purpose uh, in your life. Jesus travels around this region. He has a great many things to say. He preaches many sermons. He tells many stories. He has many one-on-one -on -one conversations. But Mark sums it all up by saying, in a nutshell, what Jesus was saying to people is repent. And repent isn't saying, oh God, I'm sorry for the mistake that I made. Repent is not groveling in guilt and shame. Repent is when you change your mind and you say, I want to get with it. I want to be with God. I'm done messing around. I want to join this movement. I want to invest myself in the things of God. Repent. Repent. Jesus over and over in this passage and in so many, Jesus talks about time and Jesus says it, it, it's time. It's time. There's two Greek words for time. One of them is chronos, like it's time. It is now. But you do know there's a clock up there? I think the clock is there to be sure I don't talk too long. So I got my eye on it. It's 1123. If it gets to be 1137 and I'm still talking, raise your hand. Anyway, it's chronos time. That's what time. But when Jesus says, it's time. He's not saying it's 1123. Jesus is saying it's time. Do you know this use of time? It's time, kairos, time. I was with my uh, two of my college buddies on New Year's Eve, and we got to talking about, do you remember the time we took that road trip? I don't remember what the day was or certainly what hour of the day it was, but it was a time. It was a time that we cemented our friendship and began to dream of our future. 
there was the time that I looked at Lisa, who is now my wife, and I looked at her and I thought, and it was a time. It was the time that I looked at her and thought, she is the one. She is the one. And everything changed. I hoped that she would think I was the one. <laughs> she was the one. That was the time. There's a time, many of us, uh, you look at your parents, and uh, you realize at that time, it's not an hour of the day, but you realize at that time that my parents aren't the active people that they once were. My parents are beginning to age. Their bodies are beginning to break down. And from this time on, our relationship will change. I'll be caring for them more than they'll be caring for me. Sometimes it's time. You go to the doctor, and the doctor says, it's cancer. I don't, you know what hour it is. From that point on, everything is different. I remember the last time uh, my wife's mother and her siblings were all together. We had them up to our house in the mountains, and we gathered around dinner, and I wish I'd known it would be the last time, and that it would be such a fabulous evening that time. I would have made a video or something. Uh, we had dinner, and they told stories until midnight and laughed and shed tears. It was such a lovely time, time. Jesus says, it's time. In these stories, there's always some urgency, right? Jesus does things immediately, Mark says over and over. The disciples follow Jesus immediately. It's just, it's immediate. It's, you feel like everything's in a hurry. It's not about being in a hurry. It's about it being urgent. There's an urgency to it. Uh, my second or third year as pastor here, we engaged in a long strategic planning process. One of the cool things about that is to see it coming to fruition. We talked in that plan about affordable housing. We're building a whole neighborhood out near the airport of affordable housing. We talked about ensuring that we have the facility to guarantee our future for children and youth, and the building is going up right over here. It's fabulous to see that happening. What I love about that strategic plan is we did something I've never seen in any other strategic plan. The eighth and final point simply had the word urgency. It doesn't sound like a strategic plan, does it? But yet it is. We wanted our people to have a sense of urgency. A strategic plan, you can start to think someday, somewhere. We do this, don't we, as church people? We forget about the urgency. We think, eh, one day I'll read my Bible. One day I'll join a class. One day I'll do that mission trip. One day I'll join the choir. Someday when things settle down, I'll fill in the blank, whatever it is. But in Mark's gospel, it's always immediately. And Jesus is always saying, it is time. It is time now. It is time. I think the move about the movie Goodwill Hunting uh, Wills met a girl, Skyler, and he learned how to deal with that from his therapist, Sean, who told him about having tickets to that 1975 World Series game where Carlson Fisk hits the home run in Fenway Park, but then he tells Will he didn't actually make it to the game, and Will can't believe it. Why didn't you make it to the game? He said, well, I met a girl in the bar before the game. I had to, I had to talk to the girl, right? <laughs> then Will has the opportunity of a great job at the end, but he says, forget it, I gotta go, gotta go talk to the girl and starts driving across the country immediately. Immediately, immediately the disciples followed Jesus. He didn't have a thick money clip or an entourage of exotic dancers. They're like, oh, let's go after him. No, they're just, but there was something 
about Jesus, or maybe the something was about what was going on in their lives, that it was good, they had a good business, they had good families, but something about him elicited something in them, and they realized it wasn't enough, that they needed something more. They needed something that would be ultimately fulfilling. I've been struck lately by uh, a verse in Mark chapter 1. It's beyond the scope of today's passage, but I think it's pertinent all the same. In Mark chapter 1, verse 34, you, you just have to think about this at length. It says, Jesus cast out many demons. I've been thinking about that for weeks. Jesus cast out many demons. When you first hear it, you think, good. <laughs> I'm so glad he cast out many demons. Then you have to hear the pain in it, right? In a thinly populated place, Jesus cast out many demons. I mean, how much suffering was there? How much compassion did Jesus have? But how much suffering was there? And if you think about whatever the suffering was, it had to be worse because people in that day didn't know any better, and they said, it must be demons, right? So it's not just that you're suffering, but people think, like, you've got demons in you, which only adds to the suffering. Jesus cast out many demons. I wonder if Jesus just cast out many demons or if he was trying to cast out thinking that way. Thinking that way. Uh, when I was a little boy, some of you who are younger, you won't know what I'm talking about, but older folks will. Uh, when I was a child, uh, there were certain people who, I still don't know, I can't, I can't, if you know what this is, I can't even explain it to you. There would be kids who would be declared to have cooties. The older people laughed, the younger people were like, what are cooties? And I can't even explain it to you, except to say, popular, cool, good-looking kids never got the cooties. The people that had the cooties were the awkward, pimply, whatever. And they're like, oh, Rebecca's got cooties. And people go, oh, Rebecca. And I dreaded the day that somebody would say, James has got cooties. And it happened one day, some kids said, James got cooties. And I was like, no, I'm clean. I don't have cooties. I haven't been near those people with cooties because it was contagious after all. If you hung around with the people with cooties, you might. Yeah. At church on the round this morning, I, there was a little girl down front. I said, do you guys have cooties today? She said, no. I said, good. But they got something. And we grown-ups have something. And here's what we have. You and I, it's not that we say, oh, it must be a demon. What we do instead is we hear some, generally people walk around and smile, and if you ask how they're doing, they're all doing fine. We've had 100% this morning. <laughs> Hundreds of people here, they're all fine. It's like it's an amazing thing. Everyone's doing fine, but every now and then you decide, I can't bear being fine forever, so you tell somebody what's going on, and you tell them whatever it is. You might say, um, I have a child who is just really struggling, uh, can't hold down a job, drinks too much, whatever it is. And you tell this, and uh, people looking at you in, in your face, they, they'll smile and say, oh, oh. But, but then, you know what they do? First of all, they veer toward pity. No one wants pity. But then they veer in the privacy of their minds. They don't say anything to you. 
We veer in the privacy of our minds to think, I wonder what that person did wrong. If they had parented right, my children don't have that problem. If they had parented right, their children wouldn't have those issues. Maybe somebody says, I lost my job and I can't find another job and I'm just really miserable. And, you, and to them you say, oh, I'm just so sorry, but you veer to pity and then you go to the blaming thing, right? You say, well, that guy must not have worked very well. That person must not have studied at school. You see, you see how we do that? And that's what Jesus wants to cast out of us. There's a guy named Christian Wyman. He's, I don't know what he is. He's a poet. He's a theologian. Uh, teaches up at Yale. I love him. He's a great man. Great writer. He put a book out recently, and in it, uh, he tells about this thing. This is in my bi-weekly emails, by the way. If you don't get those, you might enjoy them. And um, in it, Christian Wyman tells about his dog. He's got a dog named Mac. Mac's like a big bulldog. And uh, he got Mac from the shelter, so not when Mac was born. And he had Mac for years, and then Mac was having something, so he took him to the vet. And the vet comes out and says, uh, Christian, we found something r really puzzling. He said that Mac has a bullet in his torso. Mac has a bullet. And Christian thought, how could Mac have a bullet? And he thought about it and imagined some, somebody shot the dog. And then the dog, how cruel. And then the dog crawled off to die, except the dog didn't die. He made it somehow, then wound up at the shelter, wound up at Christian's house. Christian said <laughs> the dog had never complained. We never had any sense that the dog had a bullet in him. And here's what Christian thinks about that. There is not one person, there's not a friend or family member from whom you feel estranged. There is not even a man sitting in the White House who does not have somewhere a bullet festering in them. And then he adds this, I feel sure that there is some one pain to which every one of us is called to witness and perhaps ease. So I thought I would tell you the truth today and that there's not one of you here who doesn't have something festering in them. And you may cloak it all day long. People have stuff festering in them. It's why people in Charlotte drive so maniacally. It's why somebody's rude to the checkout girl at the grocery store. It's why when you look in the mirror, you never quite meet your own gaze, whatever it is. We all have a bullet festering in us. And part of the Christian life is acknowledging that and then realizing other people have a bullet festering in them and it is ours to bear witness to it and to love and to welcome. Here, here, here's the last thing. When I take people to Israel, I love to take them to Bethsaida. This is the hometown of James and John and Peter. And uh, we go there, and archaeologists have dug it up, and the, the houses where these disciples would have lived. That's cool. And some of the houses, they found fishing hooks on the floor, uh, which is really cool. Except a few years back, an archaeologist came and said, we're not really sure that's the right place. It might be this other location. And then another archaeologist comes along and says, I don't think it's there or there. I think it's actually at this location. Like, 
I love this kind of thing. Three competing locations for where Bethsaida was, and what that means is we don't really know where it is, and what that also means is that it might just be here or there or there or, or anywhere. It might actually be, I don't know, here where Jesus comes and calls. It's like the Caravaggio painting. Caravaggio paints Jesus calling the disciples, and Jesus is in the room, and he's got his hand extended like God in that Sistine Chapel painting, fresco of creation. And God's pointing at the disciples, and we see them. And what happened that day is Caravaggio, he had some models that he usually used, but they weren't there. He needed some models to pose, so he just went out on the street. And he found some guys just loitering around out on the street, just goofing off. And he said, come on in here. And they said, okay, not doing anything else. <laughs> and they came in, and we see their faces now. Right? They were just lollygagging around one minute, and the next minute, their disciples forever to this day. That kind of means it might be you. It might be any of us. You just never know. So friends, if you are young, you can self-define on that. If you are young, you still got your life ahead of you. Follow Jesus. I mean, it's the one way to have a lot of meaning. The world will tell you to do a hundred other things. They're going to be cool and beneficial and so on. But it's a lie. It's a fake. Follow Jesus in your life. You can be about something bigger than yourself. It's just the coolest thing ever. If you are older, you think, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I didn't do it when I was young. I am now stuck. You are not stuck. Pry yourself loose from whatever it is that's got you tied up and follow Jesus with whatever time it is that you have left. If you are in a season of suffering in your life, it'd be a really good idea to follow Jesus because he's the one that will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. He's the one that went all the way to the cross and they put him in a grave, but the grave could not contain him. You'd be smart to stick very, very close to that one. If you're in a relationship, it's a struggle. This happens all the time. Two people, they may be married, they may be friends, and they're just having something, and they keep trying to work it out, and they just keep hurting each other, and they just, they just don't know. It's like Gaza. <laughs> Gaza in my marriage. Gaza with my friend, you know, whatever. And, and a possibility would be to say, yeah, I got something festering in me, and so do you. And what would it be like if we, if we followed Jesus? So instead of doing this, you, you just turn and you follow Jesus, and you go out in the world, and you try to help the people that Jesus is trying to help, and lo and behold, this thing gets less painful. It gets better. If the world bugs you, if there's stuff going on in the world that really pains you, follow Jesus, and do it now. Martin Luther King, one of the great books he wrote is Why We Can't Wait. With the Civil Rights Movement, people kept telling him, we need to wait, we need to wait, not now, not now, not now, not now, later. King said, we can't wait. We can't wait. Uh, here's my next to last one. Uh, this is kind of funny. I thought about it this week. If you've got uh, some money, years back, I had Tony Campolo come preach for me up in Davidson. If you don't know Tony Campolo, go home and Google him and watch some of his videos. Tony Campolo is kind of the um, Dick Vitale of preaching. It's like he gets up in the morning and drinks 38 cups of coffee. He's just like wired, and, and he's really good. So he's preaching for me, and, and he's talking, and then he says this thing. And this is in the early 90s, so you have to do the math to make it work. He said, 
Jesus suddenly has $35,000 burning a hole in his pocket. Does he go out and buy a BMW? And I can see my people kind of like, look down. <laughs> and one guy walked out of the room. And I thought, he's so offended, he is leaving. Well, not really. We finish the service, and I go to pronounce the benediction. I've got Tony there, and the guy that left walks back in. And he walks right up to me, and he says, I'd like to say something. This just doesn't happen all that often. And I'm like, what? He said, I went outside and counted. I said, what did you count? He said, BMWs. <laughs> he said, there are 27 of them out there. And then he added, and there are 23 Lexuses. It was a great moment. Here's the last one. If you have time, and that's the one thing I know that we all have, that's God's great gift to you, is that you have some time. We forget we have time. We feel like we're the victims of time. I do it. I look at my calendar. Oh, I got so much to do. Oh, I got, oh, it's just so stressful. Oh, it's oh, it's like it's my enemy time. But this is false. You make decisions about your time. It's your time. You're the one who decides what to do with your time. If you're running around frantically, you have made that choice, and you need to unwind your way out of that. If you have some time, what better way? to expend the time that God has given you than in following Jesus. And my friends, because I love you, I have to say, like, you need to do this, not someday, you need to do it like, now. Now, it's time, it's time. Day are born. 
Dios. Let us go to God in prayer. Loving and gracious God, we gather in your house to worship and praise you this day. In you we encounter hope that never ends and grace that perseveres. So help each of us to hear your callings in our lives to grow into the person who discerns how to be the light, light of Christ in your world, to do the will of God. Lord, in your mercy, we always make time for the things we value. So we ask your forgiveness for when we neglect to take time to love your words and to love your world as you command us. Teach us your truth. And may we speak of your truth, not with harshness, but with mercy and joy. 
discipline us in spaces of our own rebellion and resistance and forgive us for not recognizing hope in the midst of disappointments and trusting in your resurrection even in the midst of suffering. Lord, in your mercy. And we lament, O oh God, as your children, we lament for all your children who suffer, our sisters and brothers all around the world, near and far, seeking a new home, seeking safety from violence, in need of food, shelter, and refuge. So grant us the vision for peace and justice. Let us be drawn away from the comforts that blind us from pain and sickness around us, that cause us. Let us be convicted of your calling in each of our lives to be the agents of your goodness and love, to bear the image of your peace and justice in and through our lives and around the world. Lord, in your mercy, we pray for all those who mourn the loss of their loved ones, especially for the family and friends of Lawrence Michael Connolly. We give thanks for you have received your faithful servant into your heavenly home. And even in the midst of death, we give thanks for we trust and believe in the promises and the assurances of God. And it is because we trust in your everlasting goodness that we are able to pray with confidence the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As the ushers come forward, we are reminded that it is through God's continuous goodness, everlasting goodness, and our collective generosity that we are able to continue to do the ministries of God here in the life of our church and outwardly into the community. So we give you thanks. Let us receive our morning tithes and offering.
Gracious God, we offer today's gifts, for you have first given these gifts to us. May it be used to the purposes in the church and around the world for the sake of your mission, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.
And now may the grace of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen.